Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, Arculus, and FTX, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Saturday, March 12th, and that means it's time for the weekly recap. And this week, it is a true weekly recap, catching up on all the things that I missed. However, before we get into that, if you're enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it wherever you listen to podcasts, give it a rating, give it a review, or if you want to get deeper into the conversation, come over and join us on the Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash breakdownpod. Also, a disclosure as always, in addition to them being a sponsor of the show, I also work with FTX. So, as I mentioned, I'm going to focus this weekly recap on a few of the topics that I just didn't have time to get to earlier this week. However, I feel like we should do a speed run take on what are the two biggest things inarguably from this week. The first is the biggest thing from a macro perspective, and that is, of course, the first inflation print to show the influence of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, of course, there were only a few days in February where this Russian invasion was happening, so I don't think that we can attribute too much of the 7.9% inflation print, the highest in 40 years, to Russia. However, what's clear is that the narrative and political battle around inflation has taken on a new element because of the Russian invasion. Depending on your political persuasion in America, inflation might be Biden's fault because of policies during the COVID-19 crisis. It might be the problem of corporate greed and corporations using inflation as a cover for them to gouge on prices. But now it also might be because of Putin's war, as President Biden put it. This is something that I anticipate accelerating, not decelerating, in the next few weeks. And I think the March inflation print, which by all accounts should be much higher given that gas is up more than 19% in March alone, is likely to have even more of this debate surrounding it. The second really important thing that happened this week is specific to the crypto industry, and that, of course, was the Biden administration's executive order on crypto. Now, when I first reported on this, I said that the vibe was basically one of cool relief. It was validation of the folks who said that we shouldn't be worried because this wasn't going to be about rulemaking, it was going to be about research and marshalling the resources of the government to actually focus on the crypto space. A few days later, is that still the remaining narrative? The short answer is yes. The industry has largely moved on now to how they can positively shape the research process that happens in the months to come. Before I get into new things, one more follow-up on a story that we've been covering, and that's crypto fundraising for Ukraine. This week continued to see conversation around whether crypto was mostly a net positive because it was allowing direct donations into Ukraine, or whether it was something that was going to be a tool of sanctions evaders. The end of the week saw some new guidance from the US and the G7 around crypto and sanctions, but mostly it said the same thing that every other piece of guidance had said before, which is that while they're not seeing much yet, they're keeping an eye on it. In the meantime, it appears that $100 million or more has been donated to Ukraine directly through cryptocurrency. Alex Bornyakov, who's Ukraine's deputy minister at the Ministry of Digital Transformation and the de facto crypto spokesperson for the government, said this week that more than 60 million of the 100 million had been received by the main fund run by the Ukrainian crypto exchange Kuna. Nine figures of citizen donations to fund a resistance effort. I continue to think that we will be studying that for many, many years to come. But let's shift topics now to some things that we missed, and let's start with South Korea. We've just had the completion of a very intense presidential battle, 
and Conservative Party candidate Yoon Suk-yeol, who was formerly a prosecutor and who focused their campaign on deregulation issues, economic issues, etc., is going to be South Korea's next president. This was a super close election decided by less than one percentage point. And fascinatingly, crypto was a major issue in the campaign, with both the conservative candidate and the liberal party candidate trying to appeal to young people by being pro-crypto. This is a big turn for South Korea, which had cracked down under the current government of Moon Jae-in. In 2021, almost 70 Korean exchanges shut down, and among those that remained, the top three had about 5 million accounts, representing 10% of the country's population. Crypto, as well as stock trading, have become more popular in the country that has seen stagnating salaries and increasing debt. At a crypto conference in January, Yoon, the president-elect, said regulations, quote, that are far from reality and unreasonable should be overhauled in order to, quote, realize the unlimited potential of the virtual asset market. He expressed the desire to attract crypto unicorns to the country. He pledged to increase the capital gains threshold on crypto. And he's promised to, quote, take legal measures to confiscate crypto profits gained through illegitimate means and return them to the victims. Now, this is a guy who is super libertarian in perspective. He's against a minimum wage. He's against the country's 52-week work limit. And whatever happens next, there are going to be some changes around crypto in the country. There are at least 14 crypto bills floating around in South Korea right now. Nexo is the go-to platform for all things crypto. Invest in the hottest coins out there and start earning risk-free interest of up to 20% APR, paid out daily. Need cash ASAP but don't want to sell? Use your crypto as collateral and receive a credit line at premium rates. Open your Nexo account by March 31st and receive up to a $100 welcome bonus. Get started today at nexo.io. That's nexo.io. Meet Arculus, the next generation cold storage wallet. Arculus secures your crypto using three-factor authentication, providing a simpler, safer, and smarter way to store, buy, swap, send, and receive crypto. Arculus is offline cold storage. Your private keys are encrypted on the Arculus keycard and are never online. Stay safe from hackers with no cords, no charging, no Bluetooth. Just crypto security made simple. Buy Arculus on Amazon today. The Breakdown is sponsored by FTX US. FTX US is the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets with up to 85% lower fees than competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. One of the largest exchanges in the US, FTX US is also the only leading exchange that supports both Ethereum and Solana NFTs. When you trade NFTs on FTX, you pay no gas fees. Download the FTX app today and use referral code BREAKDOWN to support the show. From South Korea, we move to the world of macro dislocations in this crazy economy, and we turn to nickel, where an unbelievable thing happened earlier in the week. The London Metal Exchange suspended trading in nickel after an unprecedented spike saw it go up 250% in two days, trading briefly above $100,000 a ton. Nickel is used in stainless steel and electric vehicle batteries and comes, among other places, from, you guessed it, Russia. Basically, nickel saw a massive short squeeze. But what was crazy wasn't just the suspension of trading, it was also that the LME unwound the day's transactions up to that point. 
Matt Levine writes, Obviously, that's bad. You don't want to break trades. The whole point of an exchange is that it is a transparent and predictable place to agree to trades. On the other hand, if price moves are too wild, if they are driven too much by margin calls, you're going to blow up enough exchange participants to undermine predictability anyway. Now, on the same day that that all happens, Zero Hedge tweeted the headline, Putin decides to ban the export of products and raw materials outside the Russian Federation until December 31st. Adam Taggart tweeted, Wow, Putin is slamming shut the Russian gold, oil, nickel, wheat, etc. window. Hate to say it, but we are now in a world war where natural resources have been weaponized. In Arctic, Carlo Doss tweeted, Every moron, Russia is irrelevant. It's hardly 2% of global GDP. True, measured with monkey money it is. Measured with real assets, 11% of global oil supply, 17% of global natural gas supply, 11% of global PM product, 11% of global wheat product, 10% of global industrial minerals product. Peter Zion writes, Yep, geopolitics are a bitch, and there aren't many in the financial business who remember what it was like trading before 1986. Indeed, as you heard yesterday on the Zoltan Bretton Woods 3 episode, there are big things happening in the world of de-Russification and the realignment of the global economy. The Kiev Independent reports Russia suspends sale of foreign currency. Customers will be able to withdraw a maximum of 10000 in foreign currency from their accounts. All other funds will now be paid in rubles. Meanwhile, on our side, President Biden tweeted the ban on Russian oil and gas has strong bipartisan support in the Congress and the country. Americans have rallied to support the people of Ukraine and made it clear we will not be a part of subsidizing Putin's war. Michael C. Bender at the Wall Street Journal pointed out, Biden's ban on Russian oil imports is so popular even 72% of Trump supporters say they'd be willing to pay more at the pump to do it. However, now that we are up well over $4 a gallon, in some places like California more like $5.75 a gallon, we'll see how long that lasts. And that's another shifting narrative to keep track of, is this idea that we are just now inevitably on a collision course with recession. Tracy Shukart tweets, the Federal Reserve is about to hike rates into, one, a war, two, a global slowing economy, three, with energy prices exploding. To say they are behind the bar is an understatement. MAC-10 at Suburban Drone writes, this period is very similar to the 1973 OPEC oil embargo, which created a global recession. Commodities are now rising at the fastest pace since that recession. The cost of Russian oil ban, recession. John W. Rich tweets, Uber has no cars. Airbnb has no hotels. America has no oil. This is the new economy. Over here in crypto, though, money keeps flowing. To read just a few of the headlines, Starkware is apparently raising at a $6 billion valuation. NFT Layer 2 Scaling Network Immutable raised $200 million at a $2.5 billion post-money valuation. Bain Capital announced a $560 million fund focused on crypto, emphasizing DAO services, among other categories. A Credit Suisse vet is launching a $200 million crypto options trading fund. The Spartan Group launched a $200 million metaverse fund. Silicon Valley giant Bessemer announced a $250 million decentralized tech fund and launched a DAO. SoftBank is launching an NFT marketplace. State Street is launching a crypto custody program with Copper. Cake DeFi launched a $100 million fund. And in perhaps the least expected news of the week, LimeWire, yes, that LimeWire that gave your family's computer all those viruses back in the day, is coming back as an NFT marketplace. So if you're wondering just what's going on with crypto markets, let's turn and we'll close with this to our friend Travis Kling, who runs Ikigai Asset Management, for his thoughts on the market. He says, It's obviously really tricky here and the chop has been real. Not financial advice, I've been wrong plenty and recently, so just do your own research and make the call best for you. 
We're currently trading at the point of control for the entire range, going back to the break of 20K in December 2020. At the risk of sounding like the trade or at 38 to 39K is an important level. Going back to July 21, we've seen significant demand for Bitcoin in the low to mid 30s. Specifically, as we've revisited those levels first in July 21 and again in January and February 22, the demand to buy seems to overwhelm supply to sell and it just dries up and the price moves pretty swiftly higher. There's no way to know for sure, but I would guess there is a significant amount of capital that begins DCAing into Bitcoin when it's down 50%. And you couple that with there's just not that many folks in the mood to sell 50% off the recent top. A recent Bitcoin PA has been more grinding on the way down and impulsive pops on the way up. We've now short-squeezed twice in the last nine days despite a pretty horrendous macro backdrop. That's telling in my opinion. To be sure, a ton of money has already come out of Bitcoin and crypto broadly. The large majority of the macro tourist money left in December and January. Not only did they sell because of Fed tightening fears, they sold because the rest of macro got a lot more interesting all of a sudden. That's even truer now. There's all kinds of opportunities in equities, commodities, rates, etc. The macro tourist money is mostly gone from Bitcoin and crypto. The group left holding Bitcoin here is weighted more heavily towards idealistic bulls with longer time horizons. Unequivocally, the value proposition for Bitcoin has become more compelling in the last month, not less. This also plays into the supply-demand dynamics I just mentioned. Undoubtedly, there's a ton of risk out there, a ton. Some really nasty tail events have some likelihood of happening that is much higher than what the market is used to. Nuclear weapons, world war, China-Taiwan escalation, large-scale cyber attacks. The list goes on. And there are knock-on effect tail risks that are increasing as well, too. Treasury market volatility, commodities, credit spreads, overnight funding markets, things could start breaking in these areas and soon. An inflation-driven recession in the second half of 22 is certainly on the table now. But there's also a ton of fear in the market, both crypto and traditional. Tons of de-risking has already occurred. Barring a major tail event, the market is already expecting bad things. And the sellers that wanted to sell have largely sold already. But price is where it is. I don't think that means we rocket back up to all-time highs in the coming months. That's not my base case, although you never know with Bitcoin. But so far, despite a really crappy backdrop, Bitcoin demand has held in well against drying up supply in the mid to low 30s. The near term is highly uncertain and significant risks are present, but this technology and asset class are going to be tremendously important in the future. I'm certain of it. They already are. I want to say thanks again to my sponsors Nexo.io, Arculus, and FTX, and thanks to you guys for listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace. Hey, Breakdown listeners, come join Coindesk's Consensus 2022, the festival for the decentralized world this June 9th through June 12th in Austin, Texas. This is the only festival showcasing and celebrating all sides of blockchain, crypto ecosystems, Web3, and the metaverse, and is designed for crypto newbies, investors, entrepreneurs, developers, and creators. Don't miss speakers Kathy Wood, SBF, CZ, Punk6529, and Joe Lubin, just to name a few. Use code BREAKDOWN to get 15% off your pass at coindesk.com slash consensus2022. See you there.